You're listening to an IOE podcast. Powered by UCL Minds. Welcome to the podcast Psyched About Education. This series celebrates the academic excellence of the work carried out at the Department of Psychology and Human Development and the impact this work has on policy and practice. In other words, how can psychology make a difference? I'm Dr. Amy Harrison, an Associate Professor in Psychology and Clinical Psychologist. And I'm joined here today um, by Chloe, who has a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa and is receiving treatment. And our other guest is Dr. Marta Francesconi, a lecturer in psychology and psychologist. In this podcast, we're going to be focusing on the relationship between decision-making and the development of eating disorder symptoms. So welcome, Chloe and Marta. Thank you so much for joining me um, in this podcast. I hope that we'll be able to bring together our research experience and the findings that we've we've been working on and personal lived experience of an eating disorder. We've been using data from the Millennium Cohort Study and this is um, a longitudinal study that followed people up, a cohort of, of people born in 2000-2001 have been followed up throughout childhood and adolescence and we've been using data from um, 11,303 Uh, boys and girls in in that study and we've been interested in thinking about the presence of symptoms of eating disorders and eating disorders are quite a a diverse um, sort of um, group of symptoms um, which can involve things like um, under eating or maybe overeating and losing control over eating and maybe using behaviors like exercise Um, to influence your shape and weight and these things cause a lot of distress to people and um, can really impact people's lives so they are very important and significant mental health um, difficulties and eating disorders can last a really long time so we've been really curious about whether we can understand and spot some of the things that might be associated with eating disorders and being able to predict their presence later on and also some of the factors that might be important in helping to protect against the development of eating disorder symptoms. And one of the things that we thought might be interesting um, to research was decision making. So Marta, could you help us to understand what we mean by decision making? Of course. So first of all, thanks for inviting me to join you in this podcast and thanks to Chloe for agreeing of like being part of it too and give her like um, her contribute. Um, So by decision-making skills, we refer to the ability of selecting between two or more alternatives to reach the best outcome in the shortest time. Um, So we should think that when we make a choice, we are basically defining uh, uh, our position in any given situation. And we should think of a decision-making process as a thought process where we weigh uh, the pros and cons of each alternative and we forecast the outcome uh, of each option based on the information that we have available. So I think it's clear how uh, this skill uh, may have a huge influence on our personal and uh, um, professional life. 
Absolutely. Just in our daily lives, we have to make so many decisions, don't we? You know, from what we're going to wear that day to what we're going to have for our breakfast and who we're going to meet and how we're going to tackle different tasks that we, we come across. Yeah. And Chloe, I was wondering if you could give us um, perhaps an example of how decision making has been difficult for you as a person with experience of anorexia nervosa. Sure. Thank you, Amy. And thank you for having me on this podcast. I feel absolutely honoured and privileged to be here. Um, So for me, when it comes to decision making, I've never really been able to make decisions for myself. I never really developed a sense of my own preferences that can even go down to what is my favourite colour? What is my favourite flavour of ice cream? I Even now to this day, I still couldn't give you the answer to those questions. I I'm very passive and let others make a decision on where to go or what to do. Um, Because as I say, I don't really have a a preference either way. However, on the other hand, I can be incredibly inflexible and controlling. I can make plans, particularly on going a trip abroad, and I'm just unable to divert from, from those plans or be spontaneous. So... I think it's had quite a big effect on my decision making, both historically growing up in adolescence through to adulthood. Sounds like it's played a really, really big part, actually, in in your sort of day to day functioning in your life. And Marjorie, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more or summarise for us some of the key findings that we, we obtained from our research using the Millennium Cohort Study data. In our study, we explored the relationship between scores on a gambling task, which measures uh, decision-making under condition of uh, risk uh, in people that aged 11 and 14 years, and eating disorder symptoms that were measured at age uh, 14 and 17. And we found that less advantageous uh, decision-making at ages 11 and 14 were predictive of eating disorder symptoms at ages 14 and 17. We also found that those whose decision-making skills developed less than their peers between 11 and um, 14 years old were more likely to have eating disorder symptoms at age uh, 14. And we finally saw um, that decision-making ability um, at 11 and 14 years old helped to explain the relationship um, that exists between emotional um, dysregulation uh, experience during very early childhood, so at ages three, five, and seven, and uh, eating disorder symptoms at ages um, 14 and 17. So what we basically found is that the cognitive and emotional skills um, developing throughout the childhood and adolescence are involved in the um, eating disorder symptoms in the development and in the experience of eating disorder symptoms during uh, um, adolescence. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to add that the eating disorder symptoms that we were able to look at in the Millennium Cohort study um, were um, things like people in sort of intending to lose weight or to reduce their dietary intake, people actually doing that, um, acting on that intention and restricting their their um, nutritional intake, um, people feeling dissatisfied about their body. Um, and thinking that it was um, too large, 
and also people using exercise in order to influence their weight and shape. It's interesting when you use secondary data, data that have already been collected and use that to address new questions in your research, because you don't always have control over some of the things that, that were asked. And, you know, we acknowledge that some of the symptoms of eating disorders are perhaps missing here. But I think this really gives us an interesting insight into a cognitive factor that might be involved in the later presence of eating disorders. And it very much mirrors your experiences, Chloe. Um, you were explaining that decision-making has always been quite challenging. And I think that's something that we're also seeing in, in our research, that there are this group of people for whom decision-making is developing a bit differently and is a bit more challenging. Um, and that those are the people that um, are, are a bit more vulnerable to eating disorders. Um, I think Marta, and you might like to ask Chloe a little bit more about um, yeah, her experience. I'd like to ask to Chloe, uh, as someone who has experienced uh, an eating disorder, if she thinks that it might have been um, useful to have any kind of support um, with this skill, with the decision-making uh, skill, um, if she thinks that like having had this support earlier, it might have helped her uh, with avoiding uh, some difficulties that she experienced um, going through an eating disorder. Yes, I would say so. I mean, I've had to relearn some basic skills which weren't made available through my childhood and adolescence. I feel like I would have had a better sense of self, which I can imagine would mean that I think more of myself than just a number on a scale or how my body is perceived by both myself and others. Um, also, can I ask you, um, what do you think that like people with eating disorders need to learn to make better decision? What would you suggest? What do you think it could be useful? I think some guidance and support from both family and school. Um, I think school plays quite a large role in particularly younger children um, on how bodies and how everyone has a different body and it's not one size fits all. Um, but I find also from my personal experience, the consistency versus chaos. And, and what I mean by that is having a consistent home life and home environment versus a chaotic home, a chaotic home environment. And it's very difficult to make good decisions when there is chaos there. So there's a numbing effect to escape from that chaos, which what feels like self-soothing behaviors like restriction which give a perceived sense of control but these behaviors are actually quite impulsive and are actually incredibly self-destructive and i find that without support routine and a consistent home environment it just doesn't allow for a developed set of emotional regulation techniques or resilience thank you for sharing this it's very uh, interesting. Um, so, Amy, would you like to discuss some of our ideas about uh, that where we'll take the research next? Yes, thank you. Thanks, Chloe. That's very thought provoking because I think because the sort of eating disorders have so many different symptoms, and um, as you've pointed out, sometimes people can be sort of over-controlled in their behaviours. Sometimes people can be more impulsive and sort of under-controlled. And there's, there's lots of different challenges kind of involved 
in eating disorders and associated with them. Something like decision making might help us to explain the sort of diversity of symptoms, um, because when we're having to choose how to act in a given situation, we're having to make a decision and we're, we're trying to use information from that situation to respond in an advantageous way. And I really like your ideas about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting some coaching and some more support and some some training, um, you know, at school, but also support from loved ones to really develop this skill. And uh, one of the sort of things I've learned in terms of my decision making skills is I've observed people that seem to do it well and I've sort of taken on board some of their strategies. And I really think that can be that can be really helpful. I think that's how we want to take this research forwards. We'd like to develop um, a kind of um, game, actually. We're interested in the idea of gamification and serious games. And this is an approach um, where you produce a game that's fun and engaging and interactive, but it's not just for the sake of playing the game. It's about teaching a skill and it's been used in lots of different ways. For example, uh, in teaching um, medics how to make good decisions in, in a hospital setting. I think we'd like to have a go at making a game like this that could be played in an app and offering it to children. I think our research indicates that we need to offer it to children um, sort of in, in primary school because we know that that's you know, when things like decision making are starting to really develop. And we would hope to then follow them up and see whether those who had access to, the, to this game and played this game and, and used the characters to learn some new decision making skills and really, really enhance that ability might be more protected against the later onset of, of eating disorders as they, they grow older. And we'd obviously compare that with a group of people who just carry on as normal and, and sort of don't have access to this, this game and this app. And I think that's a really exciting um, application uh, of, of, of this research because we might be able to do something to help people to develop skills that are protective against difficulties like eating disorders, but also mental health difficulties more broadly because there is this idea that sort of psychological disorders depression, anxiety, and so on, may be underpinned, may be uh, related to um, decision-making processes. So let me ask you one final uh, question, like how has your work or psychology research in this area made a contribution to policy or practice? I think specifically this research really shows policymakers in the education field how important it is to spend time on supporting the development of key cognitive skills. And I think that's really corroborated by, by Chloe's personal experiences, because this is a skill, this is a cognitive skill decision-making that not only helps with learning, but it could also be protective against difficulties with mental health. So I think that's the key, key uh, sort of contribution that we've made. I think we've also contributed to an understanding of sort of how eating disorders develop and we've added to the science on the cognitive factors that are involved and I think that's really important because sometimes people misunderstand how eating disorders develop and they think that maybe people sort of choose to have them or sort of um, it's a fad or a phase that will go away but the reality is quite different 
and eating disorders can last a long time and you know of a serious mental illness they're not a sort of lifestyle choices perhaps um, some people in, in sort of wider public might might sometimes think if they don't understand them very well. I would just like to say that I completely agree and I think it's so important that it is better widely known that and having an eating disorder is not a choice it is initially it can start off as off as a, as a means of control but very quickly it becomes it controls you and I just think it's really important to know and I really want to hone in on that that what you just said Amy so thank you for for saying that yeah I'm wishing you the very best in your recovery Chloe thank you that's yeah. it from us today. You've been listening to Psyched About Education. For further details, please see the links at the end of this podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. 